Drumming. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is Mason Ingram. Mason is a composer, session drummer, and Ableton programmer living in Nashville, Tennessee. He is one half of the ambient music group Slow Wave, acting as writer and producer. He has been the drummer of Broadway's Kinky Boots, The Prom, and Rent. He is a member of bands The Last Royals, Hundred Hounds, and Young Oceans, and has played on Broadway's Lion King, The Waitress, Finding Neverland, and Little Shop of Horrors. Mason also loves working in Ableton Live, from programming to writing and recording. He has appeared on many late shows, from The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon to The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. He has performed live at Lincoln Center and has gone on countless U.S. and European tours. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I do here at the podcast, you can become a Patreon member. Find us at patreon.com slash workingdrummer. Any donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content that's provided by our former guests. This content covers a variety of topics, but it's all educational and applicable to the working professional. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can find links to both of these things on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. And while you're there, you can find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done over the years. And no matter what your platform of choice is for listening to podcasts, giving us a like, a rating, and review always helps us grow. So I really enjoyed uh, speaking with Mason and getting to know him a little bit better. He definitely comes off as someone that is more than a drummer. He is a creative. Uh, he's very passionate about what he does and who he is. And I, I found it very inspirational, especially when you consider the many hats that we all have to wear and him choosing to be more compositional in his work was also inspiring, especially knowing that the technology is available to anyone that wants to express themselves in multiple ways. So his understanding and passion for working in Ableton and uh, finding new ways to compose music uh, is really great. So check out his duo, Slow Wave. That's S-L-O-W-A-V-E. You can find them on Spotify. It's, uh, it's great for sleeping, for relaxing, for just kind of finding out uh, his method of, uh, of writing. It's really great. And uh, many of his other groups that he works with. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mason Ingram. Yeah. 
I'm originally from Austin. Okay. Yeah. Austin, Texas. And I grew, I was born in Dallas, but I, I grew up in Austin. Uh, okay. And yeah, I grew up there. I went to college at Baylor in, in Texas, mm-hmm. uh, in Waco. And so I, I guess right after I got out of high school, went to Baylor, majored in classical music. And then after that, I got out of Texas and went up to New York and I lived there until I guess about two years ago. Uh, so yeah. 13 years in all. 13 years in New York City. Yeah. So when you were studying classical, was it classical mm-hmm. percussion? It was. Yeah. 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 Okay. Which is crazy. It was, you know, it's one of those, like, you look back, or I look back on my life in, like, hindsight, and I'm like, it, it, a lot of it kind of feels like I just stumbled into one other thing, you know, and I, I kind of did the music route backwards, or at least the music major route backwards. I, I wasn't sure, like, I got into Baylor, and then I applied for the music school, because I was like, well, if, if I'm going to college, I should study what I enjoy. Yeah, that's yeah. music, you know. But I, I feel like a lot of times people, or most music people, are like, "Well, I'm going to study music, so I want to go to a certain music college, and mm-hmm. uh, so I want to go to Berkeley or UNT or whatever." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for me, uh, for some reason, in high school, I just wasn't thinking that long term as, as far as that goes. I was like, "Well, I'm going to go to college," and I applied to Baylor, and I liked Baylor. My mom went there. Uh, and then I was like, well, let's see if I get into music school. And I was looking at applying other places as well. And then, so I got accepted to the music school and it was a little just like, ah, oh, this all makes sense. <laughs> right, right. And so I kind of stumbled into it. And, uh, and once I was there, that was when everything kind of started to clarify itself, if you will. And it was, I knew going into it, I was a drum set guy. I, I just wanted to play drum set. Uh, and I had a teacher back in Austin, his name's Steve Samuels, and he was like my first teacher. Mm. Uh, and he, he was, I mean, the amount of influence, positive influence he had on me is like, I, I can't even describe it, but I, love that. I, I remember at one point he told me, he was kind of like, he was like, man, I'm so thankful because I've always worked, but I always kind of just wanted to do drum set and and he always did classical stuff. He taught lessons on marimba and everything. He was like such a beautifully well-rounded musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he probably just said it to me in passing, but it was something that kind of stuck with me because I was like, I don't enjoy marimba, you know, mm-hmm. I, but I love drum sets. So, but I find myself at this classical music school, which was my decision, you know? Yeah. And so I'm going to learn everything that I can, but once I get out of here, I'm going to go straight for drum set. And that's mm-hmm. like all I'm going to go for, you know? And, uh, and it was cool. I was kind of like looking back on it. It was, <laughs> it definitely set me on a path and, you know, I mean, no one really knows what they're doing at that age. Anyways. I don't think so. I think, again, I say this a thousand times, you know, we're expecting so much from 18, 19 18, year olds yeah, to like, make a decision or before that, you know, exactly. while in, in high school yeah. to decide what they want to do. And mm-hmm. my co-host, Zach, was mm-hmm. in the same boat. He studied classical mm-hmm. and then uh, later changed to jazz performance mm-hmm. in, in, in his master's. Yeah. But uh because that's what you do. You that's what you do. You study this. Yeah. And, but I think, you know, what's amazing is we all know that, it's, you know, your education 
does not dictate your success. Exactly. Or what school you go, go to. Go to does not dictate your success. Right. There's yeah. stories of 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 we've of guests we've had mm-hmm. and, and drummers that we all know that mm-hmm. never stepped foot yeah. in in a school in a school or yeah. you know gosh look at uh, uh, Jay Murata uh, yeah. was on tour and finished his high school finals <laughs> while on, on tour. On a bus, yeah. Yeah, on the bus. I love it. It's great. <laughs> you know, that stuff That stuff is amazing, and I think it's mm-hmm. important to recognize, but um, I think there's times that education and being exposed mm-hmm. to that stuff and being challenged is also, depending on your life and what you want to do, is important. Totally. You know. I, I mean, looking back on it, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. And, yeah. and looking back on it, it's one of those where it's like, I think I did so much better at a school like Baylor where there was, there weren't that many percussion mm-hmm. students. Mm-hmm. I was kind of the main drum set student, but I was influenced. I, I was playing in all the different ensembles. And, and so I was playing in the symphonic band. I was playing in the orchestra. I was playing in a small percussion ensemble. I was playing in all the jazz stuff. And it was like, I went into jazz because, well, if you want to play drum set in school, then you play jazz, you yeah, know? And, yeah. and so that really got me into jazz. So I was doing the big band, the small combo stuff. And, and I, as I kind of like got out of it and then realized what other people's experiences were at these bigger music schools, I was like, oh man, I would have been totally lost. I think my personality would not have done well at those. Yeah, I yeah. think I I really enjoyed kind of for four years being thrown everything, you yes. know, and I was playing in rock bands on the side, which that was like what I really loved. But I also really, really loved this like percussion ensemble thing. They had like a really modern like the there was a new teacher his name's Todd Meehan he's still there and uh he really bought, brought in the, like the modern percussion ensemble world and yeah. did it really well yeah. and i loved it and his name sounds familiar to yeah, me yeah he yeah. he you know he played in this group called so percussion for a little bit okay. and he's like in that world he's he's uh-huh. really well known and he he was amazing because he kind of his whole thing was he was like you have to do like the minimum as far as like you have to learn marimba you have to learn all of this classical stuff we are at a classical music school if you don't want to learn it then you know right you should have picked somewhere else but like (laughs) he he was very kind with it he didn't like say it like that but like we got to do this but outside of that he's like i'm not going to require you to be keiko abe or some Mm -hmm. marimba virtuoso it's like you need to learn it you need to be able to do it well and then spend all the rest of your time on drum set. And it was it was beautiful. I, I really appreciate that. So know? making a big leap, again, hindsight, mm-hmm. think about what you're doing now. Totally. Are you like, I'm so glad I had that pedagogy. Oh, it, you know, it. I think the first like four or five years out of college, I was like, oh man, I wish I went to UNT. Or, you know, uh-huh. I wish I, uh-huh. I just had like blazing chops and all that stupid stuff, you know? <laughs> and then it, it was really interesting because as... I I stumbled into Broadway and the uh-huh. way I stumbled into Broadway was because there was a guy his name's Carter McLean and he was never heard of him. never heard of him <laughs> uh, but he was he he started he had this gig it was an off-Broadway version of Rent and he was the drum chair on it and he needed subs and he needed a rock drummer who could read music and follow a conductor yeah and and as it turned out, and I had no idea, I wasn't even trying to do the Broadway thing, but I knew Carter through his brother. 
and uh, I could I could do all three of those things. Yep. And like a big score didn't scare me yep. because I had been looking at it. And a conductor, even though there's always it's always hard to kind of like navigate following a conductor as a drum set player. It was like I had done it before, and yeah. so it was like one of those where all of a sudden this classical music school like came like all this training that I had kind of like put on the shelf and was like, I don't know if that was useful or not came like roaring back and was like super helpful there. And then right now I'm doing more writing. And a lot of that, you know, I like, I had to do, you just have to do writing when you're in a music school. And it was like, I arranged a big band chart and it's like, I'm a drummer. I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not great (laughs) at all of that stuff, but from, like, I'm not great. I'm not some theory, Corey Henry mastermind, you know, but it's like, because I had to get all of that training, now I'm able to like, use it. And it's just like, I'm, I'm finding that I have all these more tool, like all these tools in my tool chest that at some points I had kind of just like cast aside. You make me think about this. And I feel like this happened to me after school. Mm-hmm. I studied music in mm-hmm. college and you're thrown all this stuff from theory to history mm-hmm. to performance uh, and then when you go out in the real world all mm-hmm. of a sudden those dots start to connect exactly you're like this is what he meant yeah by get your head out of the chart <laughs> this yeah, is exactly. what he meant by look up and look at the yeah, look at the, at the conductor. look at the conductor yeah. miss all the notes but watch the conductor that's and, more important and that's like, actually the important thing yeah yeah because I think we all have experience now in working in the professional world where mm-hmm. you have a young musician that mm-hmm. just came out of a yeah. uh, notable school mm-hmm. and like, oh, cool, yeah. but is lacking something. Mm-hmm. And it's no fault of their own, yeah. but it's just like that the tools they're given is going to is going to serve them well, mm-hmm. but you have to put that in practice. In practice, exactly. You know, and and there's only so much that school can teach you. But sometimes, depending on what your interests are, mm-hmm. what where your career goes, uh, those are just two key components: totally. being in school and then mm-hmm. applying them in the applying real them world. In the real world, you know. Again, exactly. there's no silver bullet here. No, if there was, everybody would everyone be, would do it. Yeah. Would be doing it. Um, and 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 I've got a 17 year old that's studying classical guitar, and mm-hmm. we're trying to figure out where he's going to go after high school and what yeah. he wants to do. And you said something that I thought was really interesting. You like my personality. I just don't know. Yeah. If uh, I would have been served as well mm-hmm. in a bigger school or a different school for or sure. whatever that this worked for me. And I'm with you, man, because yeah. my school was a little bit smaller, but mm-hmm. uh, it it. I think it worked really well, and 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 there's other aspects outside of music that mm. that education yeah. brings to the table for sure. Uh, for so, it, yeah, sounds like I'm trying to like advocate for no, got to go to school, but yeah. you don't. But still. <laughs> you don't. But no, it's it's yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of there. I remember my junior year, I almost transferred because I almost tried to transfer to UNT, and I ultimately realized that I was way behind the gun to do that. You know, it's mm-hmm, like you actually mm-hmm. start applying your sophomore year and blah, blah, blah. So like I didn't do it. And, but I'm actually really glad I didn't. And yeah, and yeah, it's just in, and that's nothing against UNT. There's so many amazing drummers yeah. that have come out of there. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. It's just one of those where it's like, the more I think about it, the more I I'm thankful for 
what my time at Baylor did. You oh, know? for sure. Well, you mentioned Broadway, yeah. and so just to kind of uh, go off that there, yeah. I want to uh, thank Mark Stepro yes. for introducing us, even so briefly. I know. When Mark was in town, and we were down the street at, uh, where were we? Um, it was Rose Pepper. Rose Pepper. Yeah. And Nothing like, like some Mexican food to bring drummers together. <laughs> that's right. He goes, uh, it, it, Mark just seems like he just knows everybody. It's, just, know. he, he, it's funny. He says when he comes to Nashville, he just feels like he knows people and and how much. Uh, and I want to talk about why Nashville after mm-hmm. your time in New York. Yeah, And, for and Mark's sure. time mm-hmm. in New York. And yeah. then now he's he's in L.A. But mm-hmm. um, So on the Broadway thing. Yeah. When I when I I mentioned to Mark that mm-hmm. we were going to be speaking, and I said, mm-hmm. "Man, do you, anything that I should talk about?" And he goes, yeah. "The whole Broadway thing. Like, what what, what is, is that it? about? How do you do? How, <laughs> how, how do, do you do, do that? Yeah, you know. And it seems simple enough. It's mm-hmm. like, can you read? Can mm-hmm. you follow the conductor? Can yeah. You, so, I kind of wanted to find out. So, yeah. some of the gigs that you've done. Were mm-hmm. you a regular sub for? You were a regular sub for Carter with mm-hmm. Rent. Was that yeah. also the Lion King? It, it ultimately became that. So yeah. Rent was, uh, it was a cool little production. It was like a very well done production, but it was off Broadway. So it was like small, basically the easiest way to view that is like a smaller theater, like yeah. a 500 seat venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was union and it was, it was great. It was like world-class musicians on all of it. And That's so great. he, he got that chair, he brought me in as a sub and then he ended up leaving the show before the show finished its run. And I, I was able to take over for him. And how many shows was that? Like a so week? it's eight shows a week. And mm-hmm. basically how the Broadway thing works is there's eight shows a week. If you're the chair, then you're responsible for those, but you have subs. Everyone typically has about five different sub That's drummers amazing. and you're allowed to take off. And, uh, you know, some people take off more than others, but it's like basically you, it's your, my responsibility as the chair holder to make sure a competent drummer is sitting in the seat. <laughs> and if it's not me, then it needs to be someone that everyone likes and has approved of, you know, yes. uh, and can play the show. And if, if there are people like that, then I can take off and it's not really a big deal. Uh, so it's a little bit, Obviously, the longer you're with the show, the more comfortable everyone gets with it. And uh, and everyone gets with your subs, and, and the subs feel comfortable. The subs know the music. You know, it's like... Did you have subs come in and watch you play? Yeah, yeah. I did. And it was it was cool because that's, that's how I started. You know, yep. Carter asked me, and I came in, and I sat in this little booth right behind him, and I took notes. And uh, basically, what happens is, like, I would walk in, he... I would watch him play the show the first time and I would just kind of sit there and try and absorb it because it's like, it's overload. You're seeing so many different things. You're trying to follow the story of the show. You're trying to see what he's doing. You're trying to watch the conductor and the music and all this and it's overload and it's kind mm-hmm. of, I I like to view it as like, I'm just watching a movie and like, this is nothing, like I don't need to, this isn't homework yet. This is just kind of like experience the thing. I, I think that's that's brilliant, I, especially like, okay, listen, we're going to go on tour. Here's these mm-hmm. two records you need yeah. to learn. Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing you're going to do is just maybe just put them on and just drive around. To them. Exactly. Yeah, enjoy it. Yeah, and it kind of gets in you a little bit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I will say, I I mean, Carter and I are, are good friends, and he, he was really kind to me because every time he asked me to sub, he didn't want me to play the show until I felt ready. Interesting. And sometimes 
that's kind of the ideal scenario. But other times there's someone where it's like, I got a tour or I got a couple dates and I need a, I need a new drum sub and I need someone in like a month and a half. Can you get it together then? Mm-hmm. And I, I've been in situations like that where it's like you kind of you have the timeline and you do it. Luckily for me, my first two weren't that. And so I was able to just like go slow and not rush it. And when I felt good, then I told Carter and he put me in then. Which How was, long was that? So <clears throat> with rent, I think... It was a while ago. It was over 10 years ago. So, I, But I think it was probably about two months. And basically, I, I went in, watched the show. He gave me the charts. Yeah. And he gave me a board recording of the drums turned up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and so I could hear what he, what he was listening to and what he was doing. And then I... That was kind of when homework started and I just sat down and, you know, you have the charts and a lot of stuff is written out in it, but I, I always felt like whatever the drum parts, the drum parts are written Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. I always felt like, okay, whatever Carter is doing, A, sounds awesome, but B, that's what everyone's used to hearing. And my job in this is to come in and kind of like make everyone think that Carter is playing the drums, yep. <laughs> you know, yep. uh, because he, he was hired. Like they wanted Carter to play the drums. They hired Carter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, or at least in this scenario, you know, and so for me, I kind of, I viewed my role as like support of that. So then I would take the charts, listen to him and I, I'd be like, okay, he does this fill every single time right here. Mm-hmm. So this is now for me, that's like ink. That is, I'm going to do sure. that fill. Sure. And then there's a couple other fills that he just, he plays ish, you know, he like may do a different thing every night, but it's all within the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to get close to that. You know, I'm not, if he's doing a Bonham fill, I'm not going to do a Neil Perp fill. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> so it, it's one of those where it's like, okay, you start to learn the nuances. Yeah. And I, I tried to kind of stick to what he was doing because I was like, it, it works. And that's what people like. And and it sounds good. There's nothing I'm sitting there being like, why do you do that, Phil? I'm like, mm-hmm. sounds awesome. Uh, so I would just do it and I would work it in me and practice it. And I took it in like uh, – I would take it in acts. So there's two acts and I would just like really try and work through the first act and rent – Basically, all the music just goes straight into the next song. So it's like you're playing – there's some shows you have a lot of downtime, and this one was not that. It was just like song after song after song after song, which was a blast, you know. But you got to work out the motion of like, okay, I hit this crash, and then I pick up these hot rods, and then boom, I'm in with the groove. The conductor gives me the cue. And I play the groove and it's a vamp and there's dialogue over it, but I got to be ready for that groove when he... I feel like the biggest challenge is tempo transition. Totally. <clears throat> that was that was definitely the biggest thing. That was one of the hardest things for me to kind of get up to, I guess, get my skill level up. And then mm-hmm. that's also, as someone who's held a chair and had subs come in, that's been like the number one thing from conductors that I've heard about other subs is, is you know, because we all have our own feel. Yep. And so we could both be playing at 120 and it still feels different, yep. you know. But then the the tempo thing is just such. If you got to go from 120 really to 90. Exactly. Can you quickly. find that 90? How quickly can you get there? Yeah. And are you yeah. using any type of reference or yeah. just by feel? You know, it's it's interesting. There, 
so with Rent, the conductor was also playing piano. And uh-huh. so uh, not every beat was conducted. But like if there were a number of songs that would start with a vamp, you know, and like I would just start playing a groove and it was just that would repeat. There would be dialogue and then the band would come in. So you kind of have, I mean, you got to be really close, mm-hmm. but you have a little bit of a grace period in that because the conductor, he'll usually give you two beats, like three, four, and then boom, you're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's say, you know, and I'm kind of talking about mainly the first couple shows as everyone's getting comfortable with yeah. it. You know, if you're within like two to five clicks of it, yeah. it's cool and he can kind of slow you down or speed you up and, yeah. and then you can kind of adjust that movement there. But therein lies the definition of time. Yes. The space between two notes. Two, yes. Just two notes exactly. right there. Exactly. And you've got to wrap your head around that. Around if that. If he's playing on the piano or mm-hmm. giving that downbeat. For sure. You've got to be, that's you got to be heads up. It's it's already in you. You know, I, yeah. I there was, uh, so at, after Rent, I went on, Carter, asked me to learn the Lion King book and be a sub on him for that, which was amazing. And that was like a huge, huge step. That was like one of the hardest things I've done musically. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I loved it. I I mean, it it was so hard, but it was also so rewarding. What were some of the things about it that were challenging? You know, it, there, A, it was a really drummy, drum heavy book. Like it was a chops heavy book, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and especially at the time I was a lot more of a, groove guy and Mm -hmm. so there were just some things like i just literally had to be able to play faster (laughs) dude i'm just a groove guy i'm a groove guy you know (laughs) uh so like there a there were things where i was like all right we're gonna like i'm gonna play this song 20 clicks under where it is for a week and get it feeling good. And then the next week I'm going to take it up five clicks. And then the next week I'm going to take wow. it up five clicks. Yeah. And the next, How much you know, time did you have to prepare for Lion King? You know, Lion King, once again, Carter was really good to me and he didn't give me a date. He was just like, you let me know when you're ready. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Which was really that I, like I was super thankful for that. And, and I started learning it. And then I think I left for a tour at some point in there and then I picked it back up. So okay. it was it was a little stop and start. Uh but it was a couple months. Uh but once again it was like I'm working at the same time, I'm going on tour and Carter's not like he wasn't like waiting on me. Could you remind me who wrote that drum book? Tommy Igo. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So and and I've I've never met Tommy, but I mean I've heard what Carter plays and I know it's like you know, it's probably based on what Tommy's for sure. doing for sure. And oh, it's, yeah. it's an amazing drum book. It's yeah, like, I've seen it's it. so fun. I, I've seen the show and we've had a couple guests on that, yeah. have, that have performed it. When we yeah. had Carter on, oh, uh, nice. he was he was yeah. doing the show at the time. Yeah, for sure. I might need to revisit that. Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, it, it's, just, it's just amazing to me. Is there, now being able to adjust tempos, being mm-hmm. able to read, be able yeah. to follow a conductor, be able mm-hmm. to... Is there anything where you you kind of just have to be ready for anything, or is it oh, really yeah. kind of set in stone? It's or is that's there... kind of the tricky part of it. It's like unfortunately the answer is yes to both. It's like yeah. set in stone, I but bet. also could change. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ironically, I think the reading side of Broadway isn't. It's not as necessary. It's reading from a learning perspective, but not in real time. Like it, my my view of it is like if you're reading a chart on a broad, 
like during a Broadway performance, mm-hmm. you're probably screwed. <laughs> like you don't know the music well enough is kind of uh, what I'm trying I to say. I kind of wondered about that. You were talking about like, you know, spending a month and mm-hmm. a half or so. Yeah. And, and we know that like when you're writing your own chart mm-hmm. or when you're learning a chart or you're reading something mm-hmm. at home in your own practice space, after a while, you're not really you're reading not, it. Exactly. If you're, if you don't know what's coming next, you're, you're toast. You're not <laughs> That's how I always reading. felt. Yeah, yeah you're practicing. This is not a sight reading thing. I mean, maybe if like if you're working on a show, if if you're like workshopping a show, then they're going to be throwing charts at you. And then that's when you're sight reading. But sure. you're but it's not a performance. You know, you're it, like I'm not saying you you don't need to be able to sight read. It's just that yeah. like you're everyone everything's changing and at that point you got to keep up, but that's a different thing of reading as opposed to like coming in as a drum sub yeah i i was never like the charts were there to like keep me steady yeah (laughs) and be like chorus two is coming up don't forget this one fill going into it you know and but other than that it was like it was watching the conductor i just tried to watch the conductor as much as i could and uh and I just tried to have my eyes glued to the screen because I, I guess going back to your earlier question of like, is it, is it like the same thing over and over again or is, or do you have to be prepared for anything to change? Well, it's, it's both because yeah. it's, yeah. I, you know, there's, there's one night I took <laughs> one song in Lion King, like at the normal tempo mm-hmm. and the conductor was getting me to slow down. And he was like, why, why? It, you know, he, he he can't speak to me, but I could tell he was like, why are you playing this fast? We need yeah. to slow down. And I was like, okay, this is really weird because I, I thought it was like five clicks faster, you know. And so I was trying to kind of push it there, but then I just went with the conductor. And at intermission, he was like, hey, there's a new scar in tonight. This is his first show. The character scar. So he just yeah. needs a little more time to get all these lyrics out. And it was like that moment of like, oh, of course he does, you know. And – and so there's this huge, bigger picture that's going wow, on, and course. the conductor knows this stuff. And you kind of got it's. There's always this push and pull of like, they want the drummer to be super confident and come in and just be like, "This is the tempo, and I'm laying it down." You know, like they want you to lay it down, but then you also have to be aware enough to be like, "Oh, maybe there's something happening. Maybe there's like a prop broke on stage, and yeah. something is going on. I have no idea." but I have to be super engaged with the conductor. And if he wants to adjust, then I got to, I got to go and like unquestionably go. That stuff, that's just, that's just experience, man. It is. Again, going back to the whole, what you can learn in school Mm -hmm. and then how to apply that in the real world. And it's like those two things Things. together. It's really interesting. And it's like playing a small stage with Mm -hmm. your regular band and then going out and playing a huge stage. And then Mm -hmm. like, I've got to make some adjustments because yeah. the bass player's on the far end. Yeah. Little things like that. It's funny. I played last night, mm-hmm. and they said, the singer goes, listen, I'm going to say, who here is from Texas? Yeah. And then you count the song in. And yeah. we talked about it. Mm-hmm. I went, one, two, three, four. And he said it. I went to count one. And I realized that the the, the singer who plays mm-hmm. keyboards – with the intro of this yep. song was not even close to the keyboard. <laughs> so in a split second, I went yeah. one, mm. two, one, two. two. I'm Beautiful. like, okay, this is going that to be is like, 
top-notch professionalism. And a friend right of mine there. was with me. He goes, he goes. Yeah, I heard that conversation before you went on stage. Yeah. And then I'm like, you're giving two bars. I'm like, I, he wasn't. He was. His back was Wasn't turned. Close. He was looking at me, and then he was turned around. And I'm like, "Oh my god!" god. Yeah, yeah. And so that's fantastic. I had a moment where yeah. I was, I kind of patted myself on the back. I said, "Well, that's the shit you that's only it. learn." Yeah. Because you you've been there, and you're like, "I got to give this guy more time." How do I? How do we? And do that's this? the gig. And that's the, that's gig, the gig because the singer, the star, yep, the actor, yep. They are the focal point. Exactly. And you know, we're support. We're like here to like yep. provide this. I mean, for me, it's like the f- we talk about feel all the time, you know, and we want our yep. groove to feel good. But we also like to me, what that means is like not where it lines up on a click track, but like is the person who's singing over yes. us, do they feel comfortable? And, you know, some of that is just like, personal style you know it's just like oh this this guy's more into this style of a drummer you know and so he feels comfortable with that uh but there's just this this thing and if the singer isn't comfortable singing over what i'm playing then like that's he's not going to have a great performance the audience isn't really going to love it you know no they're gonna they're gonna feel that tension. they're gonna feel the tension and so that for me that's kind of my like if that's a little bit of the guiding light that I've kind of come to of just like, okay, does it feel good? But the way it feels good is if, if the singer is not worried about me. No, then no. That's, then we're, then we're good. Uh, you have, you, have you had the, have, have you ever had the compliment of the thing I love about working with you is I, sometimes I do, I forget that you're back there. Yeah. Totally. You know, it just feels good. Uh, as uh, as you were talking here, if, if, if people are listening, I went to grab my phone because mm-hmm. I wanted to pull this up. I, yeah. I, I took a screenshot of it uh, a few weeks ago, and um, it just keeps popping up in my head. Mm-hmm. And it says, being a musician isn't about perfection, it's about passion. People don't go to shows to hear a perfect performance, they go to feel something. Oh, totally. Yeah. I saw I saw Sigaros at the Ryman. Uh, about a month ago mm-hmm. and a being new to nashville i'm loving the ryman i'm like this yeah, is, yeah. this is amazing uh-huh. <laughs> and it sounds so good in there it has such a great feel and i'd never seen Sigaros before uh mm. never seen him live and it was four four dudes it was a band and it was like there may have been some tracks on like a couple songs yeah but like not a lot. And there was like, I remember the whole first song. I mean, you know, those songs, they're so, there's moments of those songs that are so spacey and like uh, super minimal. And there was a moment where like the bass player and the keyboard player were on opposite sides of the stage. They were just looking at each other and they were just playing together. But it was like whole notes. And it must have been like 70 beats per minute, you know? And and sure, it was like, maybe my drummer self was like, oh, I think they flammed that one. At first I was like, huh? And then I just realized, I was like, these are just, this is a band. Like they're watching each other and you they're know, playing so, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And emotionally it was like the one of the best concerts I've ever seen. And I love it, that. Like from a perfectionism standpoint, like I, I didn't even care. I didn't even think about it. It just felt like four people who the thing that they were listening to was each other and they weren't listening to a click track or the backing tracks or, you know, whatnot. They were just, they were listening to each other 
and they played with each other. And yeah. sometimes it was like super tight and maybe other times it wasn't, but like I never thought about it. I yeah. was just like, this is awesome. This is yeah. great. One of the things that excites me is when I hear maybe like a really young band mm-hmm. where individually they're not where they're, they are yet. They're not, yeah. they're not fully mm-hmm. formed, yeah, if yeah. you will. But as a band, there's a passion and excitement about Mm -hmm. them that is just a force to be reckoned with. That's really amazing. Yeah, it is really interesting that you you, you say that about you know the the click and mm-hmm. and how sometimes that's an element in 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 Nashville yeah. country in mm-hmm. in uh, in pop the yeah. pop world and how how do you make that work totally if that's the gig yeah you know so I'm always interesting I'm always interested to find out how people manage this technology yeah, now that it's sure. become more normalized more yeah, yeah for sure over time with if I guess going back to Broadway I. I, another gig that I was able to play on was Kinky Boots. And, yes. Uh, amazing drummer, great friend. Sammy Marandino was the original drummer mm-hmm. on, the, on the show. And then he left for another show and he asked me to take over for him, which I, I was an enormous compliment. But that show was all click. So so cool. Lion King had a little click every now and then. Like maybe half the songs had click and the other half were like conducted every single note the conductor was conducting and you you stick with the conductor uh and kinky was just click track the whole time Mm -hmm. and it was all through ableton and i was controlling it the drummer was like controlling all the ableton with sammy had this crazy awesome setup where it was like spd was like midi mapped to the ableton and you were launching tracks in like during the show and all that tell me about your setup with that because i've seen pictures of electronics yeah. yeah it's it there, there were kind of two parts of it. You, we had the acoustic drum set. Then there was like a whole electronic drum set. So there was like a Roland, uh, just like drum brain there with a tons of pads plugged in. So there was like there were a couple songs where it was just like samples. It was like nine oh nine drums, and that was what it was. And mm-hmm. so you kind of like swivel over, play the electronic mm-hmm. parts on that part, and it was like dancey. And the music was written by Cindy Lauper, and so it like it kind of had. Her. Never heard of, but it had that element, which was cool. So it was like, it it was a really, Sammy did a great job of like combining the two where you had these acoustic drums, big rock drums, Mm -hmm. and then these electronic elements. And like, and there are a couple kick electronic kick drums over like by your kick drums. So, so like I kind of switch for different parts with that, you know, a subier 808 kick for Mm -hmm. like some smaller sections and then you come in big with like the the drums and all that so that was that was like kind of the drum set set up and then integrated into that there were like a couple there was an spd and then there were a couple other triggers and those were routed to ableton and basically those would be uh those would be the things that would start all the backing tracks and the clicks. And and there were also, I guess, you know, those little boss FS five U pedals. They're like those silver ones with yeah. the black. So he had a bunch of those down by, down by our feet. And basically our, the left foot, the hi-hat foot, you would trigger it with the heel. Almost looks like, so, it's almost like a modified sustain pedal. <clears throat> exactly. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And so you could hit, you could like start a click with that, or you could stop. It had a kill switch down there. So you never really had to take your foot off the hi-hat pedal. You just swivel your yeah, heel, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so between that and the SPD. Was that weird? It definitely took some getting used to. Okay. For sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, 
you we would trigger the backing tracks with that. So, you know, once again, we're waiting for a line from the conductor, you know, or the from an actor. The actor says the line. You wait for the cue. And then, I mean, sometimes you just get a downbeat. Sometimes you get a 3-4 if you're lucky. You never get a full measure. You get, like, two beats maybe, or you just get, like, the downbeat, you know. And... And so Even that was, more reason to know. Exactly. That was another one where it's like that that was when I felt like I really started to internalize tempos in a different way, which was really cool. But it was like, all right, this song's at, I don't know, 109. And it's just like you're not even getting a prep. You're just getting a boom. Here's the downbeat. And on that downbeat, I come in with the groove and I hit this pedal <laughs> with my left heel. Mm-hmm. And the click track starts right there and there's backing tracks going and we're like full in, you know. And so you I mean, maybe you have a little extra coffee one day and like you you take two beats to like kind of sit back in it or something like that. But like you got to you got to be pretty close, you know, and you can't if if you're too far off, you're too, you know, there's only so much you can get back on. So luckily that I, I never really had to deal with that, but that's like, you know, those are the stakes. Uh, what, what was the monitoring situation in that kind of So thing? that one, I, it was crazy. The whole band, everyone in the band except me was in the pit and I was in, on the fifth floor. And basically the drum set was so huge and so loud that if it was in the pit, it would have taken up half of the pit and then it would have blown out everyone else, you know? And you got like, there's a string quartet. So it's like, what, you want to put a violin like directly next to a drum set player it's like you kind of ha- you would have to do like an actual legit studio build out at that point wow uh, so so yeah the drums were up on the fifth floor uh which sat which felt weird at first but i got used to it and it was yeah. totally fine and then it's like a remote session exactly exactly <laughs> a, a remote live session oh my god uh and then That's there amazing. there are these little tv screens that i had the conductor on and so i had about 3 of those kind of placed throughout the drum set, depending on what part of the drum set I was playing. And then there was also a monitor of the stage, which was nice. It was kind of like I could see what was happening on stage. So it helps keep you in the show. And then also if like anything really goes wrong, you can kind of see, you know, something's up, which was nice just because I was in, you know, a completely different part of the theme. Sounds like a Zoom call for yes. businesses, like pants are optional. <laughs> it was like pre-pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. No, I can still do my job. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it's, it's like, like, no, you're fine. You're fine. I'm in a hermetically sealed exactly. drum booth. That's, yeah. That's amazing, man. That's crazy. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, we, we t- one of the questions I had about Broadway is kind mm-hmm. of yeah. one of the most important skills. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, you were covering so much of that. I feel yeah. like with that, that question, mm-hmm. is there anything about working in the Broadway scene mm-hmm. that maybe we haven't touched upon for someone that wants to do this? Yeah, for sure. It's that's a great question. I mean, it's 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 an interesting thing. I think I when I started working in Broadway, as as I described, I kind of just stumbled into it, and mm-hmm. and then ironically, the music director on that first show rent he and i ended up becoming really good friends and he he kept me working in broadway he like kept hiring me for everything and which is amazing and we're still really great friends uh but it was it was one of those things that it it happened really organically and and i feel very fortunate for that and and i feel like i get a lot of questions of like how do you break in and and i I unfortunately don't know the answer because I think now at the time people 
it didn't seem like as many people wanted to be Broadway drummers at the time. Uh, it seemed like in New York there was still like a pretty heavy uh, songwriter scene. There was like a lot of indie rock stuff going on, a lot of tours. So there was a lot of work there. Mm-hmm. And then at some point it seemed like Broadway kind of started to be some of the more stable gigs as well as uh, – I think the music in Broadway started to change a lot where they, it became more pop. It became less classical and the music became a little more pop. And so a lot of shows were looking for drum set players more than they were looking for, you know, I think there was this period where you had to be able to like play xylophone and then play drum set and then do the, you know, and you, and it was that dance and that was, and there's still those books on Mm -hmm. Broadway, uh, but there's there kind of, it there almost was this shift where about half the books were like drum set and they wanted drum set guys and yeah. so it seemed like there was just a little bit more work there uh, and I and I just I was really fortunate to kind of be on the front side of that a little right, bit right uh, so I think as far as like breaking in it's it's hard it's a little I I wish I I could tell people how to but I think it's just like. It's a little bit of being available. It's a little bit of like you're probably going to have to play some uh, non-Broadway sure, gigs, you sure. know, uh, with Broadway people for a while. The the, sing- the Broadway singers are always kind of playing. They're doing their own solo stuff. And that's kind of a great way to get on, uh-huh. you know, yeah. and to meet people. Uh, so relationships. It's exactly. So yeah. much of it is relationships. And, and then – once I think once you do have the opportunity, it's I it's it's hard. It's like I like I said, I was really fortunate where Carter didn't have a time limit for me to learn that sh- those those two shows, which were my first two shows, and those really helped me kind of like figure out how I learn these shows. And then later on, there were other shows that it was like, hey, we have a time limit. Can you learn the show in a month? But I had already kind of figured out my structure of learning it. Exactly. And so it was like I – and I had the experience of it. So it, I wasn't green. I I knew what was happening. I kind of had the confidence of like, oh, I've played these other two shows as well as like I know exactly how I learned this. So I can like fast track this. And I, I know if I'm going to not – learn one part as well as I need to for the first show, it can be this section. But this, like, these other things, I'm going to, like, nail. Exactly. No it's not what. like you're starting over every time there's exactly. a new experience, a new yeah. opportunity to work in a musical or exactly. work with a specific band or a certain sure. style of music. That all yeah. just adds up. For sure. Yeah. One of the one of the harder things with Broadway is it's like you do all this prep work and then there's no rehearsal. You just come in and yep. you play a show and yep. it goes well or it doesn't. <laughs> yes. And I I can't remember who said this to me, but I I kind of like really thought about it and and it's I haven't seen this not be true, but like basically it goes back to first impressions and it's like the first and last songs of each set of each act, the first song and the last song of act one and the first song and last song of act two are going to like, that's going to stick with people the most. And especially that first song. And especially as a drummer, like the thing that going back to the feeling, it's like what everyone wants to feel is confidence in the drummer. Okay. And they want to feel like they don't want to 
be like, oh, God, are we about to spend the next two and a half hours where I'm sitting here wondering if this guy knows the tempo, if he's going to come in, if he's going to like if it's going to be loud enough, if it's going to be soft enough. People don't want to think about that. You know, no, no people. And as drummers, it's I think it's really cool and amazing that like we can almost dictate that in one measure. You know, it's just like how we play on that first measure can really set everyone at ease immediately. Mm-hmm. And and so I spent a lot of time just like rehearsing in my head, visualizing the conductor counting off the first song and then boom, me coming in and like really practicing coming in confidently. So that, right that there, yeah, that goes know? into, there's a couple things to unpack there. It's, it's this common theme of if you are an introvert, mm-hmm. being able to perform like an extrovert. Yeah, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's that. There is practicing to perform. Yeah. This concept of learning how to count a band in, mm-hmm. learning how to make those first two notes, yeah. first two measures, establish a precedence mm-hmm. that gives a comfort for mm-hmm. the performers around you. Yeah. And um, just how all this stuff is stands head and shoulders above mm-hmm. chops. Chops. Yeah. And all these other things. Totally. That as a you know, if you want to work, yeah, you know what the what people find value. I have a, a mm-hmm. listener. Uh, we've been communicating about learning songs real mm-hmm. quick and 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 different things like that. And, yeah. and I hopefully this was good advice. So let me throw this yeah, at, at you. I, I told him, I said, look, I, it, you can you can write charts however you wish. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever works well for you. Yeah. Um, depending on your knowledge of notation mm-hmm. or whatever, yeah. it could be anything to get you to remember how the song goes. Mm-hmm. But I've found that the tempo, the intros, mm-hmm. and the outros, and the, the basic feel yeah. is what people are looking for. Looking they for. don't care if you're playing the exact fill on the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as you know where the stops are exactly. and the starts are. And you're playing in the ballpark. That's kind of what they want. Yeah. So if you, that's that should be a quick check. That's the biggest thing. Totally. I I completely agree with that. I yeah. mean, it, every time I wrote a chart out for any songwriter that I'm working for, it's like the first top two things at the top of the chart are like, what is the feel like, shuffle or straight? Yeah, yeah. And then the tempo. And yeah. and I realized. There was this thing where I I think early on I was working with a lot of songwriters and it was just like you would learn eight to ten songs. You'd chart them out. You'd go do one rehearsal. Then you'd go down to Rockwood or somewhere and you'd uh-huh. play one set and that was it, you know? And, yeah. And that was kind of the gig. And I, I was – as I was learning how to do that, I remember I would see all these other professionals, people like my superiors doing this. And I remember one time I – I saw Pelton. He was playing, and it mm-hmm. was just like a blues gig. But he was—I've never seen that guy not be completely prepared. You know, it was yeah. like it doesn't doesn't matter how big or small the gig was. He was like always super on point. And I remember I was really struggling with tempos and counting off and stuff like that. I, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was like watching Pelton. He—I saw him like pull up his chart. He pulled out a metronome audibly turned it on and like we're at a small club so it's not it's a relaxed environment you know audibly turned it on listened to it put it down 
counted it off right in right in time. Yeah. And the band came in and no one cared. And then and I was like, man, what have I been doing? I'm trying to like pull these tempos out of nowhere. Yeah, you know? Yeah, and yeah. it's like you can't you can't do that. <laughs> and it's Can you it's, imagine yeah. one, two, two three, three, four? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I also started to realize I I recorded myself one night and I listened back to it and I was like, I heard myself count a tune off and the count off and the tune was the tempo of the tune, but the count off was not that tempo. (laughs) And so I was like, Whoa, okay. And then I, as I was practicing, I started to just count myself off into whatever I was practicing. So I started to practice my count offs and I realized I was like, wow, these are atrocious. These are, how does anyone know what tempo I'm like trying to communicate? Those are so important. I, I, dude, I talk about that all the time and I know my kids are laughing at me if they can hear me in my Mm -hmm. practice room, but I'm like, one, two, three. And then the whole thing about moving to Nashville, I'd never done that. Mm -hmm. To me, the, 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 uh, you know, the sticks I was, Mm -hmm. you know, clicking to bring the band was always one, two, I was always playing quarter notes. Yeah. But I moved to Nashville and it's like you're going one, two, oh one, oh, two. Yeah. If it's a shuffle or one, two. Yeah. It's like oh, one, if you're just giving quarter notes, you're not helping any like if our job is to like You really help kind people, of just and, yeah. and, and just kind of setting that feel. There was like, a big band. How are you interpreting the swing? This is how yeah, I'm interpreting. Yeah, yeah. This is how I'm going to interpret the swing. You right. know how swung it's going to be. Perfect. How straight it's going to be. You yeah. know, I'm just like you're giving it it's almost like the more we give it on a silver platter to everyone else, the the better the band is. It, like the better everyone plays and the more fun everyone has. It's not about like we're not better than anyone. It's just like this is the our job is to determine the feel and unite the whole band into this feel. It's you ama- know, it's amazing, and I, I feel like that stuff gets lost in the education world. Yeah. Now, even my my son is at the School of the Arts, and I went to the mm-hmm. guitar concert, and it was it was so fun. It was so yeah. great to see, and they covered everything from uh, classical, jazz, blues, bluegrass. I love it. Which is awesome to see yeah. high school kids play mandolin. Oh, that's great. And steel. Uh-huh. Um, Fred Elteringham's sons are there, and it mm-hmm. was fun to see them. And, um, and then, of course, rock. Yeah. And classic rock and modern rock and things like that. So they covered everything. But as I'm sitting in the audience and probably other parents who are mm-hmm. musicians in Nashville yeah. are there uh-huh. watching their kids, I'm watching like kids struggling to know how to start. Start a song, right? And I'm, I'm like going, One, two, can, three, we, four. Can, I, can I come in and do a workshop? Just on this. Just on this. It's so crazy, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's amazing. But they got through it, and it was, it was beautiful. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, um, mm-hmm. you mentioned Ableton. Yeah. And this seems to be uh, an area of expertise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not I'm, I'm familiar with it. I think most of us are familiar with mm-hmm. it. Uh, some people have experience with mm-hmm. it. They were handed a laptop with yeah. Ableton on it and uh-huh. say, press this and yep. this is start and this is mm-hmm. stop. Yeah. Can you give us a broad overview and what's your relationship? Yeah, with for sure. For sure. I can't remember when it was, but just, I don't know. Uh, as I was kind of coming up, I, it, it became clear that I needed to learn Ableton logic or pro tools. And, and I, 
I don't know why I picked Ableton. It kind of seemed like a lot of drummers liked Ableton. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this was, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago or more. Yeah. Uh, But I was like, I don't want to try and learn all of them because I'm not going to learn anything. I want to learn one. I want to be a specialist. This seems cool. I was also like at the time, though, I had no idea about backing tracks or anything like that. I was interested in it. And Mm -hmm. so I picked Ableton and I kind of just dove in and just for a very long time, I was just messing around with it. And I would kind of write in it in little ways, you know, nothing, nothing professionally. Uh, But then I started making backing tracks for like rock and pop bands that I was in. And that was, that was a lot of fun. So I kind of started to cut my teeth there and, you know, have the technical nightmares on stage and and (laughs) all all of that, you know, the heart attacks taking years off your life with that. Uh, And then I'm trying to think, I mean, it was, I guess I, that just kind of kept progressing and I kept getting more and more into it. And, uh, and then at some point I really tried to kind of do it for the Broadway thing, uh, which was, was cool. I, I think after, or having, ran the tracks on kinky boots i saw how they were set up there and then i got asked to program all the backing tracks for an off-broadway show uh and that was my first real big project and basically it was from a production standpoint it was a broadway show it was like there was a band there were actors it was on stage it was a small theater Mm -hmm. uh and they wanted it on a click and they wanted some backing tracks in there because they could only hire a few members for the band uh, and so it was great. And I kind of, I got to just dive head first in there. I knew, I knew I knew what to do from an Ableton standpoint. And the biggest learning curve there was going to be like applying it in the theater because then I'm working with front of house. Then I'm working with lighting. Uh, they wanted to run SimT, So they wanted me to send time code to the lighting director wow. uh, from okay. Ableton. Uh, so, so it was kind of that thing where it was like, okay, I have to a design these backing tracks to work. And then in this show, the drummer was also launching them in real time with the, so the conductor would similar to how I did in kinky boots, the conductor would cue the drummer and they would hit the, the Ableton pad or trigger it, you know? So I had to make it where that flow was easy for Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And then I had to make sure that everything that was coming to front of house and uh, all of that technical side, which that was definitely the biggest learning curve for me at that time. Uh, How did you learn how to do that? (sighs) YouTube? (laughs) A little YouTube. You know, I had, I had a couple people who were, were very kind to me who were Mm -hmm. down further down the road and uh and i had worked with them on different levels one of them was sammy sammy was great uh and so i could call him and then another guy was someone that i worked on with another show that he had programmed the ableton for and we just become friends and it was one of those of like how many questions can i ask him before my time's up (laughs) you know it's like he was he was really kind and uh and I didn't want to bug him too much, but there are also moments where I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and it was, you know, I think it goes back to relationships. It was like, all right, you got to befriend the front of house guy. And like, you got to be really good friends because right. you're going to need him. Like I needed him to help me out because they started throwing sim tea at me. And I was like, I have no, like, honestly, they said SimT, and I was like, I don't even know what SimT is. What is SimT? <laughs> what is SimT? SimT is, it's an audio file, uh, but 
it comes out if if you listened to it it would be the most atrocious sound you've ever heard <laughs> uh, but you basically you you're able to send it as an audio file and then there are like uh, it's mainly for lighting director it comes in as time code so basically mm-hmm. if you're seeing like someone score a movie film it's it's numbers you just see you like see that zero that. colon zero zero colon zero zero and it's yep. like milliseconds seconds minutes hours yeah and uh and so they want it to line up and basically what it is is it it's for each song and uh because there's cues and so it helps the lighting guy to know if it one minute and 26 seconds he hits the pink light uh-huh. And if he has that number coming up, then he hits the pink light. Uh, now, it's the hard part about that is it's like, A, you're banking on the fact that the drummer got the correct cue from the conductor and he hit the pad at the right time and everything's working, you know. And so yeah. the time code going to them is correct. <laughs> wow. You know, and so if something goes out or like if if something got off and there wasn't time code then they would they would just have to be able to do it on their own but that's ultimately not I don't want to say it's not my problem because it is my problem but that's it's that's just going to happen and hopefully it's few and far between sure you know? sure sure uh, and everyone kind of needs to be on their toes at that point isn't but doesn't ableton as opposed to other daws mm-hmm. give you some flexibility it does you know it's that, and that was kind of the main thing with the Broadway stuff is that uh, it, it differs from pop in that – and I say pop in like the very big <laughs> general right, for sense. Sure, for you sure, for uh, sure. Classical – yeah, classic song structure. Exactly. Uh, in that like a lot of that, you're it, – the structure is set. You know what I mean? You get into mm-hmm. a song and there may be a vamp, uh, but – a lot of times someone is running just the Ableton, you know, mm-hmm. and getting you in and out of that. Whereas with Broadway, it was like, okay, we're going to start, sorry, we're going to start this song in a vamp. Yeah. So we need the click and then we're going to come out of it, but it's going to be on cue. So it, it has to come out of the vamp with no prep. You just got to come out of it and then it's going to speed up. And then the whole thing's going to drop out. There's going to be a thing of dialogue. Then we're going to come back in and we need the tracks to come back in. And then it's going to slow back down, but we want the slowdown to be on a click. Yep. And then And there's going to be tracks with that. Yep. And then we're going to go into another vamp. Yeah. And then we're it's gonna, that vamp is going to go into another. You know, it's just like all of a sudden it's this super complicated thing and it's, it's really cool and interesting. But it's like that's where you kind of – Ableton is flexible – to a degree, but you got you almost have to game the system <laughs> a little that's bit. That's what's that's what's interesting. So I, I hate to bring this up because it's no. it's about me, but yeah. but one of the things that I'm dealing with now is with this group I'm working with. Mm-hmm. They've got uh, a ta- a ten song mm-hmm. medley at the top of their show, mm-hmm. and they want things on click. So I've got this app that I use on my yeah. phone, which mm-hmm. I love, Polynome, yeah. mm-hmm. and I've got the songs programmed in there. And so when we're st- stopping from one song and then I'm counting in the next song, it's, mm-hmm. there aren't smooth transitions quite yet. Yeah, for Maybe sure. there will be. But yeah, for right yeah. now, we're going in and out of each song mm-hmm. by either just a, you know hitting a diamond and establishing the new key yep. or I'm we're stopping and then I'm mm-hmm. counting in the next one. Counting so the next one. I'm literally stopping the click. Mm-hmm. 
and then scrolling to the next one on the mm-hmm. list and hitting start yeah. and then counting it. So it's all, yeah. so I'm, I'm trying to set it so that it will run out of clicks. It's not on a loop. It will yep. play so many times. I mean, that is low tech yeah. transitioning. For so sure. the idea of having mm-hmm. something and even just using Ableton as mm-hmm. a click. Totally. Sounds like yes. that would be a game changer. For sure. How how familiar are you with Ableton? Like, I again probably fifteen mm-hmm. years ago, you know, yeah. I got the free version with exactly. uh, you know, a, a cheap interface. Yeah, for sure. And then um started transitioning mm-hmm. to GarageBand into Logic. Yeah, and that's sure. been my world for the awesome. last you know, that's great. five, six years. There's so many great things in Logic. I, yeah. So in, in Ableton, and I think this is the hardest thing to understand with Ableton, is that you basically have two views. You have arrangement view, uh-huh. which looks like Logic and Pro Tools, and it's just like a timeline. And like if you're recording drums, it goes straight in there, and like you can look at it. you know. And then you have this other view that you can flip over to, mm-hmm. and it looks like like an Excel spreadsheet. And yep. it's, it's either session view or clip view, whatever you want to call it. And that, so that's what I program all the stuff into. And like understanding that and also understanding how that view works with arrangement view is kind of the, it's one of the hardest things to understand initially with Ableton. But once you do, that's like, then you're like unlocking the, the key to Ableton. To Ableton. To Ableton. That's what, that's their unique focus. Their, their uh-huh. thing. And so... Uh, what I ended up doing a lot, well, like a for the backing tracks, I would do it all in this clip view in the Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Know? And basically, it's just like you're just putting many versions of audio files. It, you're populating each one of those cells with many versions, many versions of audio files, and then you're just telling it to play at a certain time. You know. Yeah. Uh, and then. That's what allows you to to loop. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so and you can have it loop or you can have it play the next thing or you can, you know, you can that's where you can kind of program it to do what you want it to do. And for me, I was having to do this while playing drums and I was like, okay, I don't for me death is putting the drumsticks down and putting my hands on the laptop. Like from a performance standpoint, from a time standpoint, mm-hmm. from a functionality flow step, from everything, it's like, how can I do all of this and never put down my drumsticks? Yeah, how were you kinda, doing that? So I I figured out how to just do the SPD. Yeah. And basically I wiped the SPD clean 100%, just like the whole thing. I just took everything that Roland put on it and I took it off. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm not re- the first person to not tell the me first that. Per- yeah. <laughs> and I reprogrammed it and I, I used it as a MIDI controller. Yep. And, and so basically I had a couple different functions on it. You know, I, I had one pad that I could, was a scroll up button. So if I hit it, the cursor, the highlighted cell would just go up. And if I hit the one below it, then the cursor would go down. So basically I could just, and like, I mean, we're all fast enough and it's an SPD and it's supposed to respond like this. So you, you can just go da, 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 and you're like flying all the way up. The and different then, cells. Yeah. And then you're flying all the way down. So if you needed to go Gosh. fast like that, you could, but really you're mainly just looking to like go to the next one, you know? Yes, so you yes. hit it once and then you're on the next one. And so that was like step one was kind of like, okay, I could make, I could get an audio file of this click. I know how long I want it to be. I put it in there. And then I make one of the SPD buttons a play button. Yeah. I make one of them a stop button. And you just route it where it's the master play and the master stop. And so I can do that. 
And so, and then I just have to make sure I'm selected or I'm highlighted on the right cell, mm-hmm. the right song. And so, then I hit play, it plays, I let it run out, and then I just hit it down, and then I can hit play again. Yeah. And then the as you get into it, you can make it, you can make, you can basically program it where it does that automatically, where you don't even have to hit the pad. When it stops, it goes to the next cell. But it doesn't play the next cell. Until you hit start. Until you hit start. That's what I need. That's in that's Because I need that flexibility. Exactly. Because if there's the end of the song and the guys are holding out a note. Yeah. I've got to feel it. Right. Exactly. And it's like there might be. be stopping a loop. You know, you want to just be. If we were playing every night, I might get a feel for how much space is needed in between songs. But right now, they need me to rely on. Exactly. Your sensibilities mm-hmm. to know when that song is, is done, is that done. fermata is done, yeah, yeah, and exactly. then starting the next one. Starting the next one, yeah, exactly. So, so you can kind of get into that. There's these uh, once you get into these cells, <laughs> I call them cells, but they're they're technically called clips in Ableton. Yeah, once you get into no, the clip sense. functions, there's there's this thing called follow actions, and basically it's where you uh, tell the clip to what to do next. And so you can tell the clip to play the clip, like once it's done playing this audio file to repeat it. So if you wanted it to loop, it would just loop, 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 loop until Mm -hmm. forever. You could tell it to play the next one. So Mm -hmm. the next one down below it, it could play that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could tell it to play like, basically if it went, if you had 10, it could play all 10 and then jump back to the top Uh, or it could play randomly. And so, Obviously, with backing tracks, you probably don't really want them to play randomly. But from a creative standpoint, I've actually started to use that because uh, I'm writing a lot more music now. And yeah. I I was really intrigued with like Brian Eno tape loop stuff where he would have multiple different tape loops going at different times. And so I was like, OK, well, I can I can basically write a number of different motives mm-hmm. all, in, all in the same key where they would all work over whatever like the base chord structure is and then i can like have ableton basically play them randomly so it's almost like a tape loop so in in the sense that like you're having these motives and this one motive is going to play and then it'll repeat but it'll repeat at a different time that another one is so you almost hit like a round exactly so you i could have like let's say i have four different motives one of them is seven measures, one of them is eight measures, one of them's 15, and one of them is like 13, you know, or whatever. And I just tell them all to repeat. Yeah. I hit play, and they all just keep repeating at different times, you yeah. know. And so all of a sudden you kind of ha- – it's – from a creative standpoint, it's really cool, and you're kind of able to use it as inspiration or just use it, you know. Right, uh, right, right. And, and that's just kind of what the song, the world that the song lives in or whatever, you know. Uh, so as an interviewer, it's, it's my job to make transitions yeah. from one subject <laughs> to another. But you are helping me out mm-hmm. so well from Broadway to Ableton to composition. I love it. Because this, uh-huh. this, this is great. what I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about this new record mm-hmm. with this group that you have, Slow Wave. Yeah. Uh, synesthesia. Yes. Synesthesia. synesthesia. Mm-hmm. I had to look it up. Yeah. The production of sense impression relating to one sense or part of the body by stimulation of another sense or part of the body mm-hmm. is the definition of synesthesia. Mm-hmm. 
If I ever have another kid, I'm naming it synesthesia. <laughs> <laughs> They'll thank you for it someday, right? I'm sure. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> so one of the questions I had was your approach mm-hmm. to writing. Yeah. Again, I think we're, we're kind of getting into that, mm-hmm. where, you know, the, the use of Ableton and yeah. using this program as an instrument, in mm-hmm. a sense. Yeah. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about this record? I've listened to it. I've enjoyed it. I've Thank shared you. it. Thank it's you. It's been great. Amazing. That's so yeah. great to hear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this this record, it's... So this, this whole project, Slow Wave, I, I have a partner in it, and he... Uh, he kind of started the idea a number of years ago. And basically he, he was a guy that I was in a band with and Mm -hmm. he he played bass and we became really good friends, but he's also a doctor. He's a research doctor. Wow. Uh, And that was, I, that was his main thing was Mm -hmm. he, he, he was like a doctor at Mount Sinai and uh, he is a doctor at Mount Sinai. Okay. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And, and so he, he had done research on sleep and the effects of music on sleep. And I mean, this was maybe like eight years ago or so. And mm-hmm. at one point we were just talking and I had told him that I really wanted to get more into writing. And he was like, well, I have this idea of like, I had done a bunch of research on like how music affects sleep. And would you want to like write some of that? And I was like, sure. So the, you know, I started writing some stuff and, uh, and it was cool. And we put out an album and this was, I don't know, like, three or four years ago and then and it was always a side project for both of us and it was mm-hmm. fun and then the pandemic happened and I was like okay I have a lot of a lot more time and I'm trying to you know it's like how do I I had been wanting to expand out of just playing drums you yeah know, I loved yeah. drumming but yeah. I I was kind of feeling this from a creative standpoint I was like man I I feel so fortunate that I get to play with all these artists and I get to play all these artists songs. And I started as a band guy. So I always enjoyed like helping the writing process, but I was also feeling like from a creative standpoint, it's like, I, I felt a little bit at a loss where like I was always dependent upon other people to be able to have a song. Yeah. You know, uh, and for the record, I mean, there were multiple bands that you have been in, mm-hmm. are in, yeah. uh, in New York, mm-hmm. um, the last Royals, hundred mm-hmm. hounds, young oceans. Yeah. So you have that experience, mm-hmm. uh, working, at, uh, BB Borelli. Yeah. BB Borelli. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, just have that experience. And, and I think we're yeah. all feeling what you're feeling, yeah. especially during the downtime. Mm-hmm. I, I know you're not alone in that. Drummers, I think when you tap into that experience of of mm-hmm. being playing a supportive role yeah. for all these other musicians, mm-hmm. you forget how much you've gained the mm-hmm. knowledge and experience that you gained over time and how that superpower that you don't know that you have yeah. to compose. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. So it was – I. You know, with the pandemic, it was like, okay, there's, you know, I was searching. I was like, this is a great way for me to kind of like expand this as well as like, this is what I'd love to do. And and honestly, as my wife and I had a kid, I guess, three months before the pandemic hit, three or four months before the pandemic hit. And so we, we were already in talks about like the performing life is strict just has certain strains on a family and Mm -hmm. and when i was thinking about what type of dad i wanted to be i i wanted to be a dad that was around and i i felt like i the work that i was doing as much as i loved it and i i miss it 
and I did love it. It it was work that it would constantly kind of need me to continue to drop things to go do. Yep. Uh, and that's that's the gig. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I'm not. There's nothing wrong with it. But it was just like as I thought about what type of dad I wanted to be, I I felt like my dad was always there. You know. Yeah. Uh, and and look and in hindsight that was super important to me. And so it was something where obviously there's work obligations and that just happens and it comes up and exactly. that's what it is. But I I wanted to see if I could shift the percentage of my work away from like 100% being performing, you know, to like how do I keep performing and how do I also do this other thing, writing and, and like some production uh, – where I don't have to be as reliant upon getting on a plane or something like that. No, I, I feel you. And it's as, as young adults that my kids are, people, I've been extremely fortunate that they have turned out as well as they, they have. And, totally. And my, my joke is people say, but man, how did you do it? I said, yeah. benign neglect. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, that's Not my intentional neglect. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 they've thrived in my absence. I yeah. think I've, I've stayed away long enough to not be a bad influence. Yeah, exactly. They've done well. <laughs> so that, but you, you, you're a decent person. I can already tell. So you need Thank to you. be around. Yeah. Uh, the, it, yeah. So no, I get it. And I think because of technology, there's so many examples that tech of technology assisting in mm. our ability to create yeah. a type of work in this mm-hmm. industry yeah. that is so unique mm-hmm. and new. Yeah. And uh, decide what kind of life you want to live, mm-hmm. how you want to live it. Exactly. Uh, it, the options are there are like there. never before. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, so anyways, with the when the pandemic happened, we kind of rebirthed this sleep music thing that we had done before, and we we did it in a new way. We wanted to do it more as like a band. We were, we kind of did it a little bit as like a sleep aid product the mm-hmm. first time, you know. And this, we wanted this to be more artistic and like music driven as opposed to like function i guess yeah for sure. uh and and so that was where we landed with slow wave and basically i i write and produce and mix all of it uh which is awesome and i love yeah. it and it's great and uh and it comes it's all based in this research that he had done it's kind of like i i take that and i use it to allow me to influence uh the music and i I was pretty strict with it at first. I, a lot of it was like it was based on the woman's resting heart rate. You know, it's like uh, it, there's this theory that you're, we're all the most peaceful or relaxed when we're in an environment that emulates the mother's womb. Yeah. And so if you kind of put yourself in there, well, you have like all the bodily noises and you have you can hear the heartbeat. And so I was like, OK, a uh, woman's resting heart rate is around 64 beats per minute. So I was composing everything around there mm-hmm. i there was a period where i was putting in a heartbeat into it like i i tried recording it and that was like meh, it like you know it's it's hard to record a cool sounding <laughs> heartbeat you know with like the right amount of high end and the right amount of low you know it's like yeah, that man. that was like it was a fun experiment but yeah. it, you know but i i created some sounds that kind of emulated that and so i tried that for a bit but it we've ultimately kind of landed on just like uh music that we feel like is based in like some type of data science uh world where we're 
using that to allow us to like inform what we're writing. And, yeah. Uh, and so synesthesia kind of came out of that. It was like, it was a thing where basically I think the, I like to kind of the dumbed down explanation of synesthesia is like, there are people who hear music and see colors and Stevie wonder is one of these people. And there's yeah. a lot of different, like some of the most amazing musicians have this. And it's, I, I don't experience that. I wish I did. It, be awesome but it's like you know they see a color palette when they hear a chord or yeah like yeah that. yeah and uh and so for me it was more just like okay i love i i really wanted to be influenced by this thought of like other senses being triggered by the music that is being created and for this there's like such a functional aspect of what we're trying to do with the project of like this is music that is supposed to be used to help relax you, to help slow you down, to help kind of like ease your mind. And it's, you know, it is within the ambient world where it's like, it should be background music. Like you should kind of not notice that it's on, but then you should listen to it and be interested in it and be like, oh, this is, this is awesome. It's a, and this it's is a great like, balance between those two things. Yeah, yeah, thank yeah, you. yeah, yeah. So that, that's where, I guess that's where I landed with that. And, yeah. you know, it's, we're still writing and there's still a bunch of other stuff coming out, but that's been, that's kind of been the main thing I've been working on a lot over the past yeah, year or yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's really amazing. One of the questions I had as, uh, I, as, as a lot of us have kind of tapped into mm-hmm. the writing thing again, yeah. uh, w- w- when we had more downtime and, mm-hmm. and hopefully that has, has stuck with us, Yeah, but, um, how do you manage the technology in a way that's inspiring as opposed to mm-hmm. distracting? Yeah, totally. Because uh, uh, there's so much at mm-hmm. our fingertips where where before you'd sat down with a guitar and a piano yeah. and that's what you had that's, or marimba. That's it. Yeah. You know, and, and mm-hmm. that was it. And so just s- selecting sound, so, MIDI mm-hmm. controllers, yeah. just all these things all that these you things. can just can derailed the whole totally thing how do you how do you do that it's it's a great question i you know i i felt better prepared when this came around than i had in the past i i remember at one point when i first started trying to program drums on my friends tracks you know it was like i would listen back to it a year after it came out i was like oh that sounds awful and (laughs) and some someone said like I just read an article that they they were saying that they always tried tried to use just one drum machine per song, like it or the samples from one drum machine. Meaning, like if they were going to program something, it would all be nine oh nines, or at least start there. You know, yeah, yeah as opposed yeah. because I and I I found myself being like, whoa, this Simmons sample is awesome, and then listen to this, this but I love the nine oh nine kick, but I love the eight oh eight hi hat, you know, and. And then it was this thing of like what you're describing where it was just like, it's like you're at a buffet and you want everything at the buffet because it's all right there. And, and so I would lose focus extremely quickly, you know, and the um, meal would be just gross, gross, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Unsatisfying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think with this time around, it, it was interesting. I really tried to kind of tell myself, I was like, all right. I don't need any more gear than what I have to write. Oh yeah. Which, which was really hard. And there are moments where you're like, okay, maybe you do, maybe you do need to get one thing, but especially when we're talking about software world, I mean, software or hardware world. I mean, look at how many snare drums I have right over there. And that's not even half of them. You know, it's (laughs) like, there's always this endless 
thing. We could always go buy a new synth, you know, whether it's a hardware or software. And uh, and I, I had to kind of set myself up of be like, don't buy – like if you're not finding the answer, like search harder with what you have as opposed to trying to just buy a new synth to make yeah, the Yeah, but in this – and that's the thing. I think that's the thing to be cautious mm-hmm. about is is in this, this consumer world. Yeah. It, uh, it, uh, that's what, when I worked at Forks Drum Closet, when I first moved uh-huh. here, I was the worst salesman Yeah, because you people were like, that. yeah, yeah, you don't need that here. We just need to get you a new spring for that pedal and yeah. uh, we'll uh, put some WD-40 on it and yeah. you're good to go and send we'll them on their way. And at Home Depot and you're yeah, fine. Yeah, 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 no, no, this snare drum you can do so much with. Yeah, and yeah. Gary was like, dude, you missed an opportunity. <laughs> Could have told them that this pedal is the answer to all their problems. Oh, I'm like, it. but that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> But they have bad technique. <laughs> <laughs> you just need to practice. Exactly. Don't spend any money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing, the same thing applies <clears throat> where we pride ourselves on, mm-hmm. like, look what I can do with one cymbal, snare, mm. and a kick. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, and you Nate know. Smith, I mean, come on. Like, right, exactly. Pff, I'll listen to that guy play hi-hat, snare, and kick all day and it's like I, that's amazing well in your setup is as <laughs> what i've seen is mm-hmm. seems real you've got two symbols hi-hat mm-hmm. yeah uh kick snare floor mm-hmm. sometimes a rack and yeah. then spd yeah. at times depending on who you're working with yeah and and that's that's pretty much it but so mm-hmm. one of the questions i had is how much does your experience experience as a drummer inform mm-hmm. your approach to My, composition that that's a great question i one one thing i really tried to kind of do when I when I first was like okay I'm really gonna spend a lot of time writing like this is moving from like fun on the side in my spare time thing into like a real a real mm-hmm. thing uh, is I kind of tried to look back on like my overall I guess trajectory as a drummer and and I think I I realized two things I was like a I I almost feel like I'm always trying to get back to that original innocent thing of like that rock band that I was in in seventh grade mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. I had no idea how to play the drums <laughs> you know like I had taken some lessons I, like I knew how to hold the sticks but I didn't know how to play drum set but we we recorded a tape we yeah. I we made our first tape and I only had a snare and a hi-hat and i took a drum solo on it like who does like that's amazing but i loved it and i i had no second thought and so there's this point where as we become professionals where we kind of like we we enter into this state of consciousness (laughs) if you will of like god yes how do i become better and and we have to and we need to but then there's it's almost like the cost of that is this initial innocence, you know, uh, yeah. and and that's that's okay. That's that's the process of of life, and that's the process of learning something. Uh, and but I I always felt like I was trying to get back to the, that mindset, you know. And I would be in sessions with artists, and I I was always someone who loved band drummers more than session drummers. Like mm-hmm. when I would listen to. You, you know, it, anything anything that's my favorite music is is a band. You know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and I have immense respect for the session drummers, but there there was something about it. I just it was like almost too clean. <laughs> you for know sure. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so when I when I started writing, I was like, okay, how do I how do I do 
how do I kind of keep this thing that I I keep thinking about with drumming? How do I apply that with writing? And mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, I a what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Well, my strengths are that like I took a bunch of theory mm-hmm. and we did counterpoint and like I kind of remember it. I kind of don't. You know, <laughs> I don't right. know if I ever fully understood <laughs> exactly. it. You know, but like, but. I'm lucky in the sense that I don't have to like learn my scales. I know scales. Yeah. I know chords. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is great. So I have, I have these like basic foundation building blocks that like you basically have to have to, to write anything. So yeah. it's like, okay, I got that. That's great. But I also have this innocence because I haven't like, because I haven't written 20 failed albums or 20 like even one successful album and then like another album that wasn't as six because I don't have that. I'm able to kind of like still be innocent. A tap into that innocence that you had as a drummer, as a drummer in seventh grade, in seventh grade is now is you're playing that role again. Yes. 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 I have enough in like, enough of the technical skills to hopefully not be weighed down by that too much. You know, I'm not like, I'm not floundering. You're moving forward. Exactly. You're putting things out. You're not letting that innocence keep you from producing. It's like anyone has that innocence, but then they don't know how to use a DAW, you know? And so then they can't actually get any, any sound (laughs) to be recorded. You know, it's like, okay, I'm not dealing with that. I know Mm -hmm. how to, if I want to record, Live instruments, I can do that. If I want to work in VSTs, I can do that, or software instruments. Mm-hmm. Like that's like I I'm not struggling with that. So that's mm-hmm. great. Let's use that as a pro, and then let's use the innocence of like, why not write in a different way? I you love know, it. Uh, I love it. I love it. And I, I feel like I'm I'm I, uh, hopefully there's other people that mm-hmm. are in the same boat, but yeah. you're speaking my language. Totally, and it's like I, it's. Drummers have a different perspective, no matter what, you know, and, and for better or for worse. And so it was kind of one of those where I was like, all right, I, I don't want to lose an opportunity to grow. Like, I know I need to like expand my understanding of theory. I need to understand, like expand my theory of like harmonic progression and blah, blah, blah. And how I can use all of this and like, in and how I can write melodies better that like, just are more but effective. But you got to start. You know? But you just got to start. And that's yeah, kind of the thing. Yeah. And, and it was, it's a little bit like the like, okay, I have to be gracious enough with myself to know that like I am putting in the time for the future right now. Like this is the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours of writing. But like at the same time, I'm already, I'm not starting at hour zero. Like I've, no, I'm a professional no. musician. So Thanks. like, I think that's Use what I'm, that, that's that's know? what I was trying to get across is yeah. like for drummers who are apprehensive about yeah. expanding their creative field into mm-hmm. writing or other instrumentation, yeah. guys, we've been been around it all our lives, yeah. or even something and as simple as recording yeah. at home, starting a home studio, not knowing the difference mm-hmm. between a, a fifty eight and a four twenty one. It's like yeah. Listen, y'all, we've been doing this for a while. Yeah. You just have to tap into that, and it, it it's amazing. Exactly. I told I told my buddy the other day, I was like, when I, I, I had trying my hand at mixing, mm-hmm. and I'm working on this thing, yeah. and my friend came over, and 
helped me kind of reorganize my mix and yeah. was showing me all these tricks and everything. I was like, yeah, this is, I mean, it was just information overload. I yeah. said, and I said with confidence, I said, listen, man, I'm, this is all good and I'm learning. I got a long ways to go. I said, but Damon, I know what sounds good. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, you do. Exactly. So it's kind of like, and that's difficult for me. <laughs> for sure. No. But it's, it's like, I've been doing this for It too is that long. guiding light. It's like we, we do, we kind of have to like, stay focused on the big picture, which I'm, I'm not saying I do great <laughs> at, from a day-to-day perspective, but like, well, you've got we, responsibilities exactly, and yeah. people pulling, but we, if we keep the, the big picture of like, okay, we know it sounds good. Like yeah. that's, that's why anyone's, if you're working, that's why you're working. There's a, there's a level that, you know, as a drummer, this as is a good. performer. Yeah. This yeah, is yeah, not, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's, or this is good enough and this is not. And there's a thing where you can be like, okay, maybe I need to clean up my low end, but this is not atrocious. <laughs> you know, like this is, this is okay. Like I'm not Michael Brower and that's okay. But like, this is, this is a mix. And yeah. you know, there's also a point where there's just a deadline and, Something has to come out, and happen. and I think that's when you kind of cling to the Steve Jobs of like real artist ship, where he said like he was kind of referring to one of the Apple products was he was like if you're a true artist you ultimately deliver whether like you ultimately ship the product oh, to the yeah. people okay sure and sure. it's like cool we can write a ten thousand hard drive songs you know where they're just sitting on a hard drive it doesn't like. <laughs> I learned more about my mix, uploading it to Spotify and listening to it a month later, knowing that it's there and I can't change it. Then I for do good or bad. Yeah, for yes. good or bad. Is it? Then I do by like continually tweaking yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah. and obviously it's like we have to have it meet a certain standard. And I think that's that's where hopefully we have friends. And I I would I had one mixing friend in particular where I. I would be like, hey, can I just send you this stuff and you tell me if anything's like deathly wrong? Yeah, <laughs> with yeah, it, yeah. You know? And, yeah. and so I would send him stuff along the way. And he was the one who encouraged me to start mixing my own stuff. And that's great. And he, so he would like totally help me out. And, and I think I was able to ultimately feel a little confidence of like, yeah, it, the mix could be better. It could always be better, you know? But, but like, think about the things you learn when you when you give yourself a deadline and you put it out. I mean, there's so it, much so there that that it really helps move the needle. Exactly. Well, tell me what what it is. What is it that you're hoping to do? Like five, ten years down yeah, the road. Sure. Like, is Nashville having moved to Nashville totally. a part of that plan? It is. Yeah, it's uh, Nashville was as I kind of mentioned earlier. As my wife and I were like looking at, just like okay, we're. We're having a family. We're starting to have a family. We're about to have another kid in like three weeks. Oh, uh, amazing. And, which is super exciting and also totally insane. You know, uh, <laughs> it's it was something where we were kind of like, okay, what we want to do, we we were trying to see if New York was ultimately the right place for us long term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of that is like for what my wife does as well. She does interior design and she's excuse me, amazing at that. And she, she has her hands in a lot of different things, but she also like wants to have a shop at some point. And that's, that would be amazing. I would love that for her. She would do amazing at that. But it was, Mm -hmm. we were just kind of starting to think like, okay, as we start to add kids to the mix and, and all of this, it's like, what, what do we do? And we, we had talked about Nashville 
before. You know, we, we had actually been down here a number of times to see if we wanted to do a move. And it was one of those where it was just like work was always going in New York. And we loved the work that we were doing. And so we, there, like, it was always kind of a, like, long-term, oh, that would be great. But, like, we were busy and we knew we both freelanced. And so we both knew that it would require us, like, stopping the work that we're doing and recreating. Starting over, yeah, and, in a lot of ways. Yeah, and and like I said, we loved the work that we were doing. So it wasn't like we were trying to get away from the work. We mm-hmm. were just, and as we were trying to envision a 10-year thing, it you know, we were trying to see if there was a better fit for us. And the pandemic was just a thing where it was like, okay, well, the work has stopped and we can try Nashville. And if we love it, awesome. And if we don't, that's cool. We'll move back to New York. You know, it's like, yeah, it's yeah, not, yeah. it wasn't a big deal, but we had like a five month old in an apartment. And we were like, I think we <laughs> like there's a point where you're like, for our own sanity, we yeah. need to go somewhere and it can yeah. be anywhere, but yeah. we need to get out of this apartment yeah. even for the baby's sake, you know? And so for that, we were like, okay, let's go, let's try Nashville. Cause we had always talked about it. When were, when did you move down here? We moved in October of 2020. Okay. Uh, and it was, I was working on a show. It was like a show that was a lot of the Broadway shows. They'll like open outside of New York, and if they do well, then they'll bring them back to New York to go on Broadway. Oh yeah, okay. And they'll open like a smaller production. So I, I was working on one in La Jolla in San Diego, and that was supposed to be January through March of 2020. And nope. Uh, man, it was hilarious. It was it was an amazing show. It was so fun. I loved everyone I was working on that with, and I was playing drums and programming the Ableton for it. It was awesome. And I remember it was like we opened on a Sunday. On Wednesday, they had a meeting that was like, hey, we just want you to know we're watching the pandemic. Everything's fine. And then on Thursday, we never came back. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, and, but, I mean, that that happened to all of us. Oh, I know. I know. I know. So, I know. And honestly, we were so thankful that we were out in California because we just stayed there for a couple months and we were close to my wife's family. So we got to see them. And, uh, anyways, we came back to New York, decided to, to give Nashville a shot. We got here and we've, we've loved it. And it's seemed to be making sense for like what we want in the long term. you know, uh, for, from the 10 year plan, it's, it's interesting because it's like with a baby and a move, and then, like, also trying to do, like, uh, adding a new thing from the career perspective. It's like, it's it's a lot of changes, you know, all at But this is why once. you do it when this you're... This is why you do it. When you're young. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's fun. It's great. And it's fun. It's fun. Uh, so, yeah, it's right now, uh, people can't see us, but we're sitting in this back room in my garage. And, yeah, uh, sweet. And I've been, this has been, like, a, a long labor of love, but it's been awesome, and it's... I've been turning this into like a, a studio. So the kind of the the long term dream is to kind of get this going where, you know, recording drums back here, yeah. uh, still writing. Yeah. Uh, I love writing. I've been able to do some sync work and I really enjoy that. So kind of pressing a little bit more into that. Uh, and then, man, I mean, I at some point I'd love to like do a little bit of touring more, you know, it's like, I think that time will, will present itself. It'll be a lot, you know, makes sense. Yeah. I, I've kind of had to just like, 
try to have a piece about the reality of like, okay, we're, we have young kids and young kids is what it is. And it's like all hands on deck. And I'm really fortunate to have the time flexibility where I can write whenever, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and if it's needed for me to hang out with my son, then that's kind of awesome. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what a cutie yeah. and, and and that's the thing man it's and uh, that's where i i really feel where you're coming from because i was just so stubborn with mm-hmm. what i wanted in life yeah. and it's like man i want to play music i want to do it all the time yeah. but i also want a kid you know i want yeah. a family you i want, want family. kids exactly um so where can i do it yeah and, and family and nashville's been very <laughs> receptive to that and i love that yeah i just it's great, man. Yeah. You've got a great spot, and yeah, this room is is, is awesome. I could just see it. Uh, you know, it's going to be happening, yeah, for sure. It's going to be a lot of fun. But man, again, like this, this I've enjoyed listening to to the synesthesia and some of the other things that you yeah, guys have done with you. Slow Wave. It's been really, so much. really that cool. A lot. But also, thanks for talking with me, man, thanks for and, coming and down. sharing all this information um, and. You know, for anybody that has questions about what what's involved yeah, in, in the world, course. you know. I love so, it. But no, I appreciate it, Mason. Thanks for Absolutely. thanks for chatting, man. Thanks for coming down. So there you have it, my conversation with Mason Ingram. Many thanks to Mark Stepro for introducing me to Mason, and uh, don't forget to check out his group Slow Wave on Spotify or wherever you find music. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview with Brandon Draper. He is a Kansas City drummer and educator. But for now, everyone, stay safe, stay sane. Thanks so much for listening and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.